This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Well, it's officially that time of year where you're going to see one charitable solicitation after another after another in your email, some by text, people at street corners, in the traditional mail. And how do you know who's legit, who's on the up and up, who should be getting your money? And if you got older relatives, older parents, let me tell you, they got a bullseye target on them, the scammers, the crooked charities, they're going to come after them hard. You got a role to play here. Also, we talk a lot about privacy being tracked and all that with everything we do. What if this was flipped on its head and you got paid for people to be able to spy on you and see what you're up to? We're going to talk about that. So, my mom who's been deceased for a while, went through a long decline from dementia. And she baselined back in year 2000 with early decline, and it was clear what her path was going to be. And we were really lucky as kids, because usually as people develop more dementia over time, they can get kind of grouchy and maybe not be the parent you remembered. We were really lucky as a small percent of people are that our mom had what they call euphoria. Every day was the greatest day it could ever be. She's always smiling, always happy. Didn't know who she was, where she was, or anything, or who we were. But her name was Joy. And she was joyous till her last breath. So that was a gift we got. But there was this time period, let's call it a way station, where our mom was still living independently, still on her own, but was not making the best judgments and decisions. And turned out she was being very heavily scammed by fake charities. And we figured this out because mom was running short of money. And it turned out she was giving all this money. I remember she told one of my brothers when he asked, so why would you give money to these people? Her answer was so real. She said, because they asked. And so we had to put procedures in place where we intercepted all our mom's mail. Because back then, they weren't soliciting by email like today or anything like that. So intercepting the physical mail worked really well. And we were able to stop that, at least coming through the mail. We had a different issue with people calling her on the phone and conning her into giving money. But we were able to get it under control somewhat. But this time of year, 
during the Christmas season, we, the American people, are so generous and so giving. We have a culture of charity that is not unique in the world, but is unusual in the world, how much we want to give, how much we want to help. And that makes us susceptible this time of year, regardless of age, to ending up getting taken by phony balonies. The IRS, short-staffed, overwhelmed, has been actually approving a lot of organizations that are crooked. And so they look to be official IRS-approved charities. Then there are those that are just out-and-out bogus. But even just because an organization is IRS-approved doesn't mean they're okay. So how do you know something's okay? Number one, and my favorite, is if you're involved in your community and locally you know an organization that you really believe in, you give to them because you know what they do. You may even volunteer with them. You know if they're efficient, you know if they're not, you know if they're well run, you know if they're not, that having that local connection makes a big difference. But let's say you don't have those kind of local connections and you have that giving spirit and you're getting solicitations all different ways now. Email, the phone's not as much anymore, but email, text. I got a lot of texts from charities. I'd still get the physical mail. So how do you decide? Well, it's really easy. There are organizations that check out charities to see, first of all, if they're legit. But second, and this is the biggest factor that eliminates them, charities that are efficient with the money that's donated. That's a much smaller group than the number of charities that are out there. There are multiple organizations that do this. Each use a different methodology, but they get to a similar result, which is, hey, you give to these people, You can feel comfortable and confident your money is being well spent. You give to these other people, not so much. I've got a briefing at Clark.com on these, but the three principles are Charity Watch, Charity Navigator, and Give, all .orgs. I want you to not be impulsive giving money. I want you to think through your overall giving strategy. We only have so much money we can be generous with. And what organizations, what causes are best for you to give to. And so you think about that and you allocate the money. If you give money haphazardly, randomly, well, then when you want to really give to a particular group, you may not have the resources you want to give to them. So thinking it through, checking out their reel, giving to organizations you have firsthand knowledge with is great. Krista, I got to give a compliment to you. You are enthusiastic and give to so many organizations. And I've noticed that overwhelmingly, yours are that you give to are ones that you have volunteered for, that you're involved with in some way. And your enthusiasm is infectious about those organizations that you're part of. Well, you're the same way. You want to give to organizations that you think are doing great and you see it firsthand for sure. So... It's, I'm grateful to be able to give when I can. Ready for questions? I'm ready. Owen in Florida has a Samsung Fold 3. You have a Samsung Fold. Fold 4. I had a 3. 
He has developed a crease or crack on the folding screen. I went to my phone company, sent me to Samsung, did the online process and was sent to a local tech store. They said it was unfixable and sent me back to Samsung. Samsung wants me to mail them my phone for up to two weeks and I'm on my own for a phone. This is an expensive phone with a known problem and I don't even get a loaner. Samsung wants their in-house tech to look at it. Okay, so this is really interesting what's happening to you because Owen, when the 4 came out, I'd been having problems with the screen on my 3. I took advantage of that Mac Daddy giant trade-in that they offered and passed the problem back to Samsung. You're past too late to do that. And these phones are incredibly innovative. And people repeatedly say, what is that thing? If you're not familiar with it, it's a regular phone, then it opens up, and like magic, it's a tablet. It's been something that I've loved having, but the three just seemed like it was trouble. And the four has been great. So the problem is that this happens with most any company. They don't do the loaners when they tell you to send the phone back. And what I like is for you, to, if you've got an old phone, family member has an old phone, whatever, you just suffer with it for the time while Samsung has your Fold 3 in its possession. And Samsung knows that the screen fold has been a problem. The folding inner screen has been a defect of the Fold 3. And I hope that they will be decent and treat you right with it. But the loaner thing is a pretty simple thing. And I don't understand why someone who paid a fortune for a phone is treated this way. And Samsung... Just be nicer to people who've been loyal to you. Teak in Pennsylvania says, is now a good time to invest in REITs. With the housing shortage, won't the big developers be building? I'm too old and lazy to be a landlord. Okay, so that's (laughs) not, (laughs) Teak, that's not why you go into a a REIT. A REIT is, for people who are not familiar with the term, real estate investment trust. And REITs operate in every segment of the real estate market. It could be shopping centers. It could be storage units. It could be apartments. It could be houses. It could be most any phase of the real estate market. Now, I'm a big fan, instead of doing individual REITs, I'm a big fan of REIT index funds or real estate funds. The biggest player in that is Vanguard, not a surprise. And the lowest cost is Vanguard. But others are in that as well, where you buy a fund and you have the ability to do broad real estate investing where you own it just like a stock. And if you buy a REIT ETF or a real estate exchange traded fund, you can buy and sell it whenever you want. So it is a way to diversify as to how REITs are going to perform moving forward Hard to tell. I mean, the housing market is going through disruption right now because of interest rates. Single-family home sellers are like Pulte, one of the nation's big builders, just turn land back in. You know, they didn't go through with land purchases because they're dialing back what they're going to build. Other builders are scrambling to try to figure out how to move inventory that they already had in the pipeline Mortgage rates went up. A lot of buyers said, hey, not my time to buy a house. So 
this is a longer-term play, not a short-term. But having real estate as part of your overall investment pie is a great idea. And the advantage of being in a real estate fund, even being in a more narrow REIT, is that you don't have to worry about the call that the toilet broke. You know, on a Saturday morning, your tenant's calling you saying, hey, you got to fix our toilet or whatever it is, or there's a problem with the roof. You don't have those issues or problems. So REITs are a really valuable alternative. My preference, real estate funds. Coming up next, tracking is everywhere. Whatever we go to, Krista long ago gave up on the whole tracking thing. You figure everybody knows everything about you <laughs> at any time. I mean, I do what I can, but I assume it's all out there. All out there. So what about using that as an opportunity, knowing if you've given up like Krista, that you just have them pay you to spy on you? That's a novel idea, and it's something I've been expecting to happen. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you go back in the Wayback Machine, back to the 1990s, we had something called dial-up internet. If you came of age after that, you missed a pioneering phase nobody wanted to be part of. But you'd have a computer with what was called a dial-up modem, and you'd dial into a server where you'd pay them typically $20, $25 a month, to be able to surf the internet at a speed that just a picture loading, well, you could go to the, get a snack out of the refrigerator and go have a chat for a couple of minutes and come back and the picture would be mostly loaded. It was really cool that we had access to all this stuff. It was just very, very, very basic and the pace of a turtle, a really slow turtle. But we were paying that money, and I didn't like paying the 20 or so dollars a month. So what I did was there were a bunch of companies that you filled out personal preference forms with, and then you would rent some of your screen space, and they would send you targeted ads and pay you typically 10 to 20 dollars a month so that your internet was much cheaper or potentially even free. And I've been waiting for things like that to come up again. Well, they have, 
and nobody's doing them. I saw a story in the Wall Street Journal that there are a bunch of companies that give you the ability to be served ads and they spy on what you're doing and then the ads kind of fit what you're doing, kind of like how Facebook does everything. You get paid money and like nobody's doing it. I realized I haven't done any of these. And maybe it's because, well, $10 or $20 was worth a lot more a generation ago than it is now. And internet service isn't 10 to 20 bucks a month or 15 or 20 bucks a month. Now, internet service for a typical person may be 90 a month. So I guess it's not enough to give up even more privacy. But the idea in this trade-off that I keep thinking about is that if companies are going to spy on us, we should at least get paid for it. It's how I've always felt about Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian. They treat us as just cannon fodder. And they spy on us, they build these dossiers on us, and they make all this money on information about us they didn't pay for. In fact, the scam of it is they charge the businesses that buy the dossiers of us money and we don't get a share. We don't get a take. And we're not even looked at as the customer. The reality is in this era where there's so much surveillance of us going on, we should in some way be able to do what the Europeans do, which is say, no, you can't spy on us. Or yes, you can spy on us, but you're going to pay me to spy on me. But I don't remember, did you do any of those things where you gave up the screen no, space for the ads? I you, didn't like that one. You thought I was crazy for that. Well, it just wasn't, I just annoyed me too much, so I wasn't going to do it. I saw what you had on there. <laughs> All those ads? That, <laughs> yeah. Well, the one that you and I both did was the free long distance Oh, call. yeah. So Free-way. I tried to explain to my teenage son the other day that you had to pay if you made a phone call to somebody who wasn't where you lived. And he couldn't really grasp the concept. It's so funny that that if you grow up in an era that works one way, like you just pick up your phone, you call somebody anywhere in the country. If you use a calling app, you can call them anywhere in the world. You know, they can talk on a video call with Viber or WhatsApp or um, iMessage. Well, there's oh FaceTime, 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 and so you can talk to each other all you want, and it's free anywhere in the world, and we just expect that. And it's so funny how technology changes over time, and what we can do, and what's what we have to pay for versus what we don't have to changes so much over time. Oh yeah, it's crazy. Should I try one of these things? Let them spy on me, and if you want to, I'll try it. If you want, you want me to try it. I'll do it. Okay, let's okay. go to questions. Jason in South Carolina says, my insurance agent says everyone has a car insurance score. He said when you switch insurance companies too often, it, it can affect your insurance rates. Is this true? I hear a lot of people saying to get insurance quote to save money, but I've not heard anyone talk about an insurance score. Yeah, so you have an insurance score, which is a modified version of a credit score. And a lot of insurers set your rates primarily in states that permit based on your credit score, not about your driving. And in fact, repeatedly, when people have studied this, they found that people with a DUI or DWI with a high credit score pay lower insurance rates than somebody with a perfect driving record 
with a lower credit score. That, to me, makes no sense at all. But you have the ability to shop for auto insurance as you wish. Your insurance score is principally based on your credit report. It's a different kind of score than a normal generic credit score, but it's a similar kind of process. And you can switch auto insurers as much as you want. Remember, the auto insurance industry, one of the things they do behind their backs, several of the insurers use what are known as loyalty index scores. And the more loyal a personality you are, the higher the rates they will typically charge you for auto insurance. The more they think you would bolt if they charge you too much money, the likelihood is you're going to get lower rates. And people who've been with one insurer for decades, if that insurer uses a loyalty index system, you're paying higher rates than somebody who just comes to that insurer. So don't trust somebody who says, hey, if you switch insurance, I mean, your rates are just going to go through the roof. Doesn't work like that. Thomas in Alabama says, Clark, it's Medicare open enrollment season. Please remind people of the difference between Advantage plans and supplement Medigap plans. We have an Advantage plan, and recently they have been really difficult to deal with. My wife's doctor suspected she had lymphoma and ordered tests. The insurer denied the test originally, so we paid out of pocket to get them done quickly. The doctor was right, and we have now begun treatment, which the doctor thinks will almost 100% be successful. If we'd waited on the insurer, the test would still have not been done. So what So what is stage two lymphoma could be stage three lymphoma. It seems the insurance company's motto is delay and deny until they die. Then they do not have to pay. Also, if you go in an Advantage plan first, it is very costly and almost impossible to switch to a supplement later. So I addressed this yes. recently, Thomas. I am so glad that you had the financial ability to get the test that you needed, and it may, in fact, have saved your wife's life. That is awesome that you were able to do that. Um, Every time I bash Advantage plans, and I call them disadvantage plans, which, by the way, I just saw a newspaper headline that stole my exact line. (laughs) Medicare Advantage plans are actually disadvantage plans. So I'm glad that that newspaper reporter listens to us and stole my line. (laughs) But anyway, every time I talk about how much I don't trust Advantage plans, we will then have passionate individuals who write in and say how wrong I am, how great it's been an Advantage. The reason I don't trust Advantage plans And half of people who are Medicare eligible are in Advantage plans in the country. Is that if the Advantage plan uh, turns out not to be as great as the colorful brochures, or if the Advantage plan declines in quality over time, you are a prisoner. Once you go into Advantage, just as we heard from Thomas, it's really hard and expensive to get out. And that is a problem. If Advantage plans are really so great, people should have the ability to exit from them without being harmed financially if the plan turns out not to be good for you, but the insurance companies want you to be their prisoner forever, which is why when you approach age 65, you will get deluged with solicitations to go into an Advantage plan because they know once they've got you, 
you were pretty much their prisoner for the rest of your life. This is from Donna in Pennsylvania. My son has been incarcerated for the last 13 years. What can he do to get a credit score? So first of all, Donna, I know how brutally difficult and hard it's been on you and other family members to have your son in prison for such a long part of his life and your life. As he comes out, as he reestablishes himself, he will need to get what's known as a starter credit. And he will be a perfect candidate for one of the secured type programs that credit unions offer. When your son comes out, take him to join a credit union and join a credit union that has a what's generally referred to as a fresh start program where your son will have to post a deposit with the credit union that'll be in a savings account or a CD with the credit union. And that establishes eligibility for having a credit card from them with a small limit. And then typically with a credit union 12 to 18 months later, your son, as long as he handles the credit card as he should, will graduate into regular credit. And that first real credit card will fully help him establish the credit that he needs to have, the credit standing and credit record that he needs to have. Now, if they can't find any trace of him, what's known as a thin or no file, then he may need to look at other things like the pedal card, P-E-T-A-L card, which is an alternative means of establishing credit for a visa card based on different criteria than a traditional credit score. And so I wish your son the best in this next phase of his life. And I, I am such a believer in second chances. And Krista, you love a guide for people who've been released from prison about how to handle money. Uh, tell us how. Well, there are lots those. of programs around the country and depending on what state he's in too, but there actually was a great article written on moneygeek.com this year. And it's called the finance guide for formerly incarcerated people. And it lists by state, all the programs that help um, prisoners when they get out, because often, you know, it's tough to find a job to rent a place. There's so many things if you're trying to rebuild your life and the goal being, you know, so someone doesn't end up back in prison there are a lot of really great programs out there. So I would check out that article on moneygeek.com. One other thing I wanted to say, Donna, is that historically, when people come out of prison, it's been really, really difficult to get a job. And one of the things that has changed in America is there are a lot of employers who have found former convicts to be actually very good workers and have been willing to take chances on them. And these programs are in more and more metro areas around the country. And hopefully your son will be able to connect to one of those programs, find an employer who's willing to give him a chance and get out there and find a good work opportunity and a good future. And I want to tell you, I'm sorry if we didn't get to your question today. But I do want you to know that we do provide one-on-one free advice. We've done so for Whisker less than 30 years, where you can talk with a member of Team Clark at our Consumer Action Center, 
We are here to serve you 30 hours each week with one-on-one advice. All you got to do is call 636-49-CLARK. The hours that you can talk with one of our Team Clark members is from 10 in the morning Eastern Time to 4 in the afternoon Eastern Time. And have a wonderful day.